Welcome to the Wonders of Thedas podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. Welcome back to another exciting episode, episode 53. Uh, this time we are talking about a mage specialization, and we, of course, had our usual poll on our social media. This time the winner came out, Blood Mage. Yep. I'm kind of surprised it took 53 episodes for us to start talking about blood magic. I am too, but a uh, special personal shout-out to uh, all the people who voted Keeper. You know who you are. We're friends. We're friends now. You're cool. We'll talk about that specialization one day. Someday. It'll be really cool. Our day in the sun will come. Hmm. One day. We'll probably end up talking about Shapeshifter before that if the <sighs> if the votes are correct. We should, you know. Anyway. Someday. We'll go ahead and get right into it. First, we'll start with a shout out to our fellow podcasts on the D20 Radio Network. There is a new podcast that has joined the ranks of our lovely friends in the Gamer Nation. It is called the Powered by Fate Podcast. It's a podcast about the Fate role-playing game. They talk about rules, they talk about supplements, and they supposedly have some actual plays. Or at least they will. Uh, not, not yeah, not just yet, but that's coming down the They're tube. pretty new, so talk about, give them a little bit of time. Looks like they were excited to talk about something like Kaiju Incorporated. That looked like fun. That does sound like fun. Movie. Uh, let's see. Fate by this point has got a lot to talk about, so I'm sure they've got mm-hmm. they've got uh, plenty to work with. So excited to see where that goes. Yep. So welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Uh, next, we'll we'll mention that our good friends, the Movie Defenders, talk about Solo, a Star Wars story, which we got to see, which I got to see last weekend. Yeah, I didn't get to see it, but I thought it was really cool. I really liked it. Yeah, I'm it looking fun. forward to seeing it at some point. Mm-hmm. Also curious to know what the movie defenders have to say. Now, this episode, they are actually going to be playing clips from the movie in the show. Just audio clips. They're a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, beware. There there will probably be a spoilery uh, conversation on that particular show. Yeah, so if you're like me and you haven't seen it yet, maybe go see it before you listen to it. Yes. But then definitely listen mm-hmm. to it. And then That's you what I'm can do. be an informed listener and know exactly what they're talking about. Anyway... Why don't we go ahead and uh, talk to our uh, listeners who ask for a little info and, talk, and uh, consult the Codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've got a lovely que- uh, collection of questions for you this time, starting off with one of our patrons... Uh, and a question that we mm. did not quite get to uh, tackle last time because we were behind on your questions is a question from Parsifal on the Green Running Forums. What's up, man? How's it going? So, uh, I'm very excited to answer this question. This one's Yeah, right this one's outlet. right in your wheelhouse. Uh, Parsifal's question was, I'm interested in using sound effects, particularly music, in my campaign, but I'm not very tech-savvy. Do you have a sort of idiot's guide to downloading the right program and getting Dragon Age music onto it? The sort of thing a grandparent would be able to follow and understand. Um, now, I have many things to say about this, but, uh, and I, I, I would honestly like to do a whole podcast episode on this particular topic because mm-hmm. I, I, this is something I really like to do for games and I think it's, 
extremely, extremely powerful to use in your games, using mm-hmm. things like music and sound effects, because it draws the players in, and it informs them of the, emo- of, of the emotions of a scene, or in, uh, just gives them a, feel, a sense of their surroundings. I agree. So you've got a couple options. There is, let's see, the program that I use is called Sirenscape. It is a program you do have to pay a little bit of money for if you want to get the exact things. If you just want to, like, buy one sound set, you absolutely can. It's just a couple of dollars, and then that sound set is yours to keep. But it's a great deal. Sirenscape is a great deal. What I usually do, and because I've been doing it for so long, I get a little bit of a discount, is the Super Siren subscriber. It costs 10 bucks a month, but... You get access to their entire library, and that includes both the fantasy and the sci-fi sound sets and the board game sound set they have. And anything that comes out while you are still subscribing is yours to keep. So, but uh, so that one's real. Yeah, that one's pretty easy to pick up on. You just go to the sound set that you need. Like if you go to a forest, you can go to like there's like Elven Vale or Elven Vale Night or Witchwood. And then it's got a couple of presets. You can just pick the one that sounds closest. It's usually a good idea to like listen to them beforehand to make sure that you know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. But you just pick the sound, the, the the preset that it makes, and it just makes the ambient sound effects for and you. I think one thing that parts one knows is there a way to get Dragon Age music onto that program? And if not, then what's a good program through which to play specifically Dragon Age music? Let's see. What I use in my game is not really. I guess not really a specific program. Anything that you could get Dragon Age music onto, like even like an iTunes player, that can work. My preferred usage, let's see, my preferred program is called Music B. It's free. Uh, it's very. It's been working out very well for me. And the thing that it helps me with the most, because I was looking for this for a while, is that it crossfades, or you can ha- you can ask it to crossfade yes, music. Yes, that's a big deal. Uh, and crossfading means that like. As the song reaches a certain point, it will start to fade out and start to fade in the next track. For when you need to have tracks repeat themselves, especially if maybe the song just like kind of cuts off at a moment or it spends a long time kind of like going down and then starting the next song, having crossfade can make the change can make the loop more seamless. Mm-hmm. You can have just about any music player repeat a single song for you, but you'll definitely want to look for ones that, if music beat doesn't work for you, there's plenty of other options out there, but you'll want to look for one that lets you not uh, lets you crossfade as an option. You will have to look for it in the options. <sighs> With music B, I think it refer it's like you go to preferences and player, and there should be a little checkbox that says crossfade, and you can pick how many seconds it lasts. You'll have to go looking for it. I think iTunes also lets you crossfade. Uh, it. I don't think it. I don't remember if it actually lets you specify like how long the crossfade is. I remember I didn't like it quite as much, or because iTunes ends up eventually you know, swallowing my whole computer because it ends up working so hard over the uh, over a long and period. And it convert. It wants to convert everything into uh... proprietary sound files. Yeah. That's so that's problem. that's you know that's a thing. Let's see. Sirenscape, of course, also has music. There is another program that I believe is an in-browser program that one of my friends shared with me recently because they they thought I'd be interested, and I am. I haven't really used it myself, but I have heard good things. 
Ah, goodness, where'd it go? One time I need Facebook to start moving quickly and give me some info. I believe it's called, I think it's just called Tabletop Audio. And it basically just, you can just pick a loop, and I think it's like a 10-minute loop that you can play along. Although I think it might be more ambient sound effects than music. Now, is this the one that uh, our friend Barbara Yes, it is the one Barbara us? sent yeah. to me. The one who uh, played Leona in the Dragon Age campaign? She did. Yeah, tabletop audio. Uh, it is free. And it, it is uh, advertisement free, and I don't know if this, uh, if the the whole thing itself is free or not. Oh yeah, it gives you just free music that it'll play. Yeah, you just pick like Carriage Journey, and then you hit play, and you just go to the website and just hit play on the thing, and it'll start looping for you. And they have one for Existential Dread, which is they one for Car Chase. Nice. Uh, Endless Voyage looks kind of sci-fi. You might have to go hunting through this one to find exactly what you need. Although it, it does, cool. we it does have it has some filters yet, but... like fantasy, sci-fi, historical, modern. Uh, historical might be pretty useful. I'm a see. I of course am still a really huge fan of of uh, Sirenscape. They worked very well for me. So you've got a lot of options. Uh, if you want to do just music. You just need to find a music player that does, that lets you crossfade. And my suggestion was is Music B. That was the first. That was the one I found that actually lets me crossfade in the way I need it to. And that one lets you adjust how long the crossfade is. If maybe the sound files that you have happen to maybe uh, start fading out of the song like five seconds early. So then, so if you give it like a two second crossfade, you can, the players can already hear the song is starting to wind down on its own. Mm-hmm. before the next song starts to play. So, worth keep... Oh, and, and that one does let you also cue things. Oh, no, what, what I liked about that is that it actually crossfades between tracks when you switch to tracks. iTunes didn't do that. iTunes, if you let it just play on its own, it would crossfade on its own, but if you needed to switch to a specific track, it would stop that track dead and start the new one, which was very abrupt and very painful to listen to. Uh, Music B... Lets you actually cross, lets you actually crossfade between the two, although you will have to ask it to. When you pick a new song, it has to cue it. Dear, remember <laughs> how he asked? It needs to be for simple, right? An idiot's uh, guide. I don't think that's what we're providing. I'm gonna need a diagram. I th- okay, so <laughs> I'm a little less savvy. Maybe I should be answering this question. Okay, maybe yeah, maybe I'm just so too excited. For Sirenscape, this. check it out. Music B, as far as a player goes, it's got crossfade, which helps. Check it out, too. Yeah. Ja-ja. We'll probably do more about that later on. Mm-hmm. And in more to. detail. And it will probably be in It'll a lot be. more detail, as my <laughs> educated wife guess. You're, you're not wrong. I know. You're not wrong. It's okay. Thank you for the question, Parsival. Hoping to talk about that in more detail later. Next question comes from Rulin, let's see, Ruben Colpert on our Facebook page. Occasionally, it happens that one of the players cannot attend a session. How do you usually solve this story-wise? I solved this a couple of times with the only Dwarven player being absent and sending the other players into the Fade for a side quest. This way, everyone experiences the entire storyline of the main quest the party is on. Next section, one of the players will be absent. They are about to enter the swamps to find a cure for a terrible disease and time is of the essence. Trailing off on a side quest doesn't seem to be an option because of the time issue. 
leaving the character behind or taking him along in the swamp seems a rather iffy solution. Mm. This, this wouldn't be the Amber Rage, would it? I mean, good choice, if it is. But this is definitely going to be something that I think vexes play is going to vex GMs until the end of time. Yep, there's player, no great right, answer here. There really isn't a great answer for this one. If a player doesn't show up, in, especially especially like in my games, where usually if a player show, doesn't show up, it means that I had planned the session specifically for them. That is, that is often how that goes. That was often the case in our big Pathfinder game a long time ago. And I would not be surprised if it happens to a lot of you out there. But uh, there are really, I think, only kind of three ways to... Two or mm-hmm. three ways to do it. Like, one is leaving the character behind, which, as you said, can the downside there is that it leaves your party short a person, mm-hmm. and means that if your your other player comes back and everybody's still out, then they're not going to be able to rejoin the party for a while, which kind of sucks. Yes. Uh, you could, like you said, you could have them take him along in the swamps and sort of put him on autopilot. But the danger there is that you know if the whole party gets killed. So, you know, so does he. And he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. And that's always rough. That is rough. And the third and final option, which might be the best for continuity, but might not be well enjoyed by other people, is postponing the game. If if this is something that it's really important that everybody be present, Mm -hmm. you could consider postponing the game for a week or two. I don't know how that works with your guys' schedules and all that, and it's always disappointing to have to reschedule a game. It always bums people out. It's no fun. But if that seems to be the best option for you guys, then definitely consider it. But I think those are really kind of your only three choices. I mean, unless if that person is going to be gone just because they're out of town, there's always stuff like uh, Roll20. Yes. And Skype. Which we have done a couple times. Which we've done plenty of, but... Most cases, if somebody's out of town for just, or not there for just one session, it's usually because they're actively doing something else and not mm-hmm. because they're too far away. It can be a bit daunting to go to a Roll20 session when the campaign has not been digital at that point. Because Roll20 does benefit from having some advanced preparation of like you drawing maps and yeah. putting the stat blocks into the Roll20 campaign. So it's doable, for sure. But not necessarily. But it can be tricky if you are not ready for the sudden shift from a, a very analog game that's you know in a binder that you had that yeah. you were physically holding going to a digital campaign that has a lot of room to make a digital binder, but it, it's all in your hands. Yeah. So none of these are really ideal, but they're kind of all the cards in your hand right now. It's true. So. Just find the one that works best for you. Yeah, find the one that is most effective and causes the least grief. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> it, this is never an easy thing to handle, and uh, most and just about any GM can tell you. So, you have our support. Yep. I mean, well, there is, I guess, the fourth option, which is a, sort of like option number one, where they leave him behind, but it's sort of like he just doesn't exist for that time period, which is mm-hmm. really difficult for the uh, suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it makes it so that he could pop in. So think of that as like option 3.5 or something. Fair enough. There you go. That's He's everything. just kind of there. No one really asks him any questions. No one really says anything Or even, to him no, or like he's physically not there. Their, like he just... Just isn't Nobody there. talks about him for, oh, for gotcha. an episode. Fair enough. 
And then he just shows back up. It's like when they make an, an animation editing mistake in a cartoon. Like, you know that... It's the opposite of that one episode of Magic School Bus where they were inside Arnold's stomach and Arnold was on the school bus inside Arnold's stomach. Like, <laughs> this time. is the opposite of that. That was weird. That was pretty <laughs> wiggy. <laughs> Hope that answers your question, Ruben. Uh, next question comes from Drunkle Grog through our email. This is a fun one. How do you prefer to handle the triple one or triple six rolls? Well, I prefer the triple six rolls if you're asking. <laughs> Uh, there's not really a specific ruling for what happens, although when, uh, when they made the Titan's Grave uh, actual play series, Will Wheaton made a house rule that whenever players rolled three sixes on something, they wildly succeeded at whatever they were doing, and it became a legendary stunt. And they may and Will Wheaton would take time out of the session to make sh- to like do like a flash forward and have NPCs mention that, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. See, I knew that those heroes. Let's see, I knew those heroes were great from the moment I saw that happen. I was gonna get a calculator real quick so that I could look up how what the odds are of that happening. But it's oh. thirty-six times six, it's, I think. Yeah, it's it's very so, hard to roll either of those. It's There's, uncommon enough that it should like if you wanted to make those auto successes, then that's. Or auto failures in the nat- in the mm-hmm. three one section, then you're well within your rights to do so. Yes, now, there's no official rulings. There. there is no official rulings because of your luck with the dice. I have always been in favor of three ones just being a three. On I a appreciate dice total, that instead of being an automatic failure. Given given my bonuses... particular specific inclinations <laughs> to be statistically improbable. Certain allowances sometimes have to be made if we want the game to continue. But most people are not going to be me. So for people who roll within a statistical norm, I think that it's generally fine to have crit fails and crit successes. Yeah, sounds good. Hope that answers your question. Next question comes from Mark Natris through our Facebook page. How would you heal a golem? Do their bodies heal naturally or need to be repaired? Would you use normal healing spells and healing potions like it works in Origins on Shale? How about Lyrium potions? Mm. This is an interesting one. Because Shale in Dragon Age Origins, one of the downloadable, let's see, one of the uh, expansion pack companions that you can get, mm-hmm. is a golem, but you can still use healing po- healing poultices on them or cast healing spells on Shale, on her. So it's... It's a very curious situation to come into. Healing a golem likely shouldn't work. But of course, in the context of the game, they needed it to work, so maybe it can work the same for you. Yeah, I mean, if it may. Really, it's about how does the. You know, which one enriches your game more? Does that make. Does the sort of ease and convenience of having that character be healed like the rest of the party is that the best way for you guys because if it is then absolutely do that yes if you think you can manufacture a way for that to for that lack of healing to make that character stand out and maybe be a somewhat of an inconvenience but you know provide some form of repair at least to be readily available then maybe you could go that route it might make that character stand out a bit more so it really just i think depends Mm -hmm. on you as far as Lyrian potions go, are you implying that you have a mage golem? Because 
Wow. Whoa. Um. Whoa. Dang. Dag yo. I mean, I guess anybody who's a mage. <laughs> I think they were mentioning lyrium potions to fix the gold. Oh, I mean, I could see that. I could see that. There's actually something that I wanted to bring up with this question is one of the extra races that they wrote for the Fantasy Age Companion was called the Orion. It is a it's basically kind of like the construct race. However, you need that construct race to work within the context of your world. They can be sci-fi, they can be closer to like the Warforged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had an ability called Living Clockwork. That they were sent, they were constructed creatures, but they could still be healed through like normal means. But and and but uh, if they took significant amounts of damage, they took cosmetic damage, so it looks so they looked kind of bad, and that would require engineering tests to fix. If they had like, That's like interesting. they could still function perfectly fine, even though they have a gaping hole in their side. It would require an engineering test to fix that cosmetic damage. Mm-hmm. But for all intents and purposes, the designers w- didn't like the idea of one of the races just f- functioning differently when you cast healing spells on them. So they made it so you, you can still cast all your healing spells on them or use heal stuff on That's them. That's a very reasonable way to take it. I thought so. So maybe you can take the same route with your golem. I think that that would be a perfectly reasonable thing to do. It would keep the game moving along, keep things simple. Simple is always good. Or... You could also go in the exact opposite direction and have uh, specific consumable items that fix golems. Maybe like some kind of a repair kit, but it still works like a potion. Or maybe allow certain characters to have special Chirurgy-like abilities, Mm -hmm. like have a Chirurgy talent that works specifically on, like, manufactured items and golems or something. I mean, there are lots of different ways you can go about it. Yes. So, how would you heal a golem? Let me count you the ways. Yeah. How would you heal a golem? How do you want to heal a golem? It's definitely going to come down to, as you said, how you want this to work for your game. Mm-hmm. So take that into consideration, Mark. Hope that helps. Thank you, everybody, for the questions, as always. And, of course, if you out there have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, or anything else... Send a message to wondersofthetispodcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, or SoundCloud accounts. Or send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Healer Puff on the Green Running forums. Or send a message to Cot or Lease on the D20 radio forums. That's us. That is us. We're going to be skipping the Dissonant Verses today. Haven't got anything to show just at the moment. We've plugged our own creations and Andy's creations enough times that we can probably put that one down at least... For a little while before Gen yes. Con, before right before Gen Con starts showing up, and we can of course advertise again. But of course, if you'd like to share your Dragon Age RPG custom content, you can contact us through all those methods that I just rambled off. Mm-hmm. You can send it to us and send it to through us all through, the same and, through all of those same things. It's still us. It's still us. I also like that you're making all these dramatic spirit hands and things, and nobody <laughs> no can one's going to be able to see it. Those are just for us. Okay, I appreciate them. Just Which for you shows that you're very excited about what you're doing. I am. So, I think it's time we got a little bit of blood on our hands. Because I, it's... Yeah. I wasn't preparing a pun for this one. Oh, no. I haven't been thinking about it. I'm sure you'll come I up did actually it. just accidentally scratch the back of my neck, and I've been trying to deal with the fact that I've been bleeding while we've been talking fun Are facts. you doing blood magic on the show? I mean, I'm not not doing blood magic on the show. Well, welcome to Give the... Give me your blood! No. Is it fate?
So you're a blood mage. Apparently. You're a blood mage. <laughs> I am not. Turn to page 66 of the core rulebook and you can see the specialization for yourself and the very, very creepy art that they included in the book. Everything about it. Everything about it is real just creepy, right? Real creepy. Right down to the expression on his face and mm. then the lack of face on the other guy. Like Yeah. Very quickly losing a lot of face. Yeesh. Yeah. I mean, you know, they talk about losing face when you lose a battle, but this is oh, ridiculous. Geez. See, I got one. I got one. There it is. Fantastic. So, we'll start with the question that's, of course, on everybody's mind, I'm sure. What is a blood mage? Before an assassin, before a reaver, even before a templar, no speck in Thetis is feared quite like the blood mage. Referred to as Maleficarum, blood mages are mages who use a dangerous and powerful kind of magic, simply known as blood magic. It's blood magic pulls upon the great power, uh, the great magical power that can be found in life force. Yep. And blood mages can take that life force from themselves, from their friends, or from their enemies. Supposedly, blood magic was introduced to the magisters of ancient Tevinter by the demons. Demons. Everything that comes from them is great. Oh, yeah. Despite being a very heavily despised form of magic, all mages can feel the allure of having more power. And they can be found just about anywhere. In hiding, of course. Of course. There are not really a whole lot of open blood mages. No. Blood mages are a common bogeyman of Thetis. They are blamed for many maladies of not only the common Thedosium, but are also blamed for nearly ending the world five times in, five times now. The Magisters of Ancient Tevinter used blood magic rituals to open the veil and step into the Golden City, corrupting it with their sin. They were thrown back to Thetis as the first Darkspawn, uh, who then sought out their old gods and accidentally created the archdemon that led the nearly apocalyptic First Blight. Good job, guys. Way to go. During this age of strife and fear, as the Tevinter Imperium began to weaken dragon cults that practiced blood magic and demon cults that used it to summon demons, caused all kinds of chaos, prompting the creation of the original Inquisition. As you can probably tell, blood mages don't make a lot of friends. Not usually, no. To many, you are exactly everything that is wrong with Thetis. And if blood magic could be eradicated, then all would be right. Uh, I'm sure that's how that works, too. Yeah, absolutely. Duh. Just kill all the blood mages and everything's fine. Yeah. Neato keen. Mm. So, who in the Dragon Age universe has this specialization? It's actually, like, the openly practicing blood mages in Dragon Age is fairly small. Beside, I mean, besides all the folks that you fight in Dragon Age 2. Because, wow, there are lots of them. <laughs> so many blood mages. Uh, of course, one of them does follow you around. Uh, her, it's everyone's favorite problem child, Meryl. Yeah. I remember she the first. <laughs> I remember that first time she pulled out a knife and stabbed herself to cast a spell. I was like, <laughs> no. oh no! No, 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 no. Please, come on. Don't. Don't why, be like this. Why are you like this? This is why we can't have nice Why things. are you so damn charming? And uh, now, Stabby. And now, Stabby. Uh, and, of course, everybody's other fa uh, other less favorite problem child, uh, Jowen, from the, mage, from the Circle Mage origin of Dragon Age Origins. 
And potentially, you know, part of maybe helping you deal with the Arl's son. Like Meryl, but human and whingier. <laughs> Much whingier. I'm planning on giving it up. All magic. <laughs> Other than that, you know, there's there's scores of blood mages. You know, there's there's blood mages all over the Tevinter Imperium. No one ever says it, of course, because of course blood magic is not legal in the Tevinter Imperium. Wink, wonk. Wink. <laughs> exactly. It's practiced a plenty there, and honestly, it's practiced everywhere. You can find blood mages just about anywhere. Just, you have to look kind of hard, because they're pretty good at concealing themselves, mm-hmm. or making others do the concealing for them. Well, and you know, there are even non-blood mages who have dipped into blood magic once or twice. Like, it, it's a thing. It happens. It's true. So, how do you go about getting this spec? I thought when I was making, when I was writing these notes, that this would potentially be a more thematic spec to unlock easily. Yes. Rather than keep it behind a lot of walls. I agree. I think that the fact that it is a temptation to all mages means that, the you know, you, you aren't tempted by a thing you can't access. And it's, you know, the power of blood should be something that is easily accessible to all mages who particularly have not only, you know, the force of life in, you know, in their veins, but other actual magic in their blood. Mm-hmm. So this should be something that is pretty easily accessible to anybody with magical skill and a dagger. Indeed. So, you know, blood magic should be uh, in the back of any mage's mind. And even if you want to put walls between the players and that, you should probably not make them necessarily very difficult. Yeah. Although, how much more dramatic is it when you have... You know, a character who is in the middle of some big fight and mm-hmm. in order to save themselves or just to get that really big reward, you let you let that person make their character's next specialization blood mage and do so by tapping into it mid-combat. Ooh. Ooh, man. Like, Fun stuff. Dang. Dagyo. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Now... For the actual methods of usually finding specializations, books on this subject will probably be difficult to find, but certainly not impossible. They're around. Deventer ruins may contain remains of scholarly studies of the craft. Circle of Magi vaults may contain tomes like these to keep them from unsafe hands, but kept near to improve understanding and potentially combating the users of blood magic. I imagine there are a few Templars guarding those. <sighs> I bet it goes just great. Uh, various apostates may even take down notes of their individual experiences with blood magic, and those tomes could be studied. Modern Tevinter might have some restricted access books <laughs> on hand, but really, but because no one really practices blood magic in Tevinter, but we all need a little more power. Well, and everybody needs to know how to combat those dangerous blood mages. Absolutely. You know. So it's it's important that everyone have the knowledge of how they operate so that we can better prevent them happening. You've just got to be special enough to get into my secret library that contains, you know, vast knowledge and magical lore. For the good of the country. It's a shame you don't have any access. Finding trainers is a, is a probable way to get the spec, and there may be more people with this specialization than you think. It's true. Finding out who is a blood mage is an adventure <laughs> in itself, uh, though most of them go because most of them go to great lengths to conceal themselves in their craft because mm-hmm. they'll have their head on a pike if they don't. 
If there is an unblood mage, they are likely already being hunted by the Templars, and you may need to find them before <laughs> the Templars do. I want you to teach me before you die, please. <laughs> Templars are at the door. Teach me and I'll help you. Uh, alternatively, students in the various circles who seem open to the idea of studying more esoteric or dangerous magics may be scouted by NPCs first. They might wish to teach the specialization, or they might be a fellow mage who seeks to aid them in finding the secrets of blood magic and definitely not steal them from you in the end. Yeah. Wink wonk. I think that another good one, especially like we were talking about in the Tevin in the Tevinter Imperium, mm -hmm. is if you're dealing with the high society of Tevinter, mm -hmm. trying to find out which people not only do blood magic, but are willing to make that deal with you and not immediately out you the moment they've taught you. Like a, there, if you want a one. if you want a blood mage and intrigue kind of game, that might be the way Ooh, to go. Go for it. Ooh, like, that'd be man. rough. That does sound really rough. Uh, it is also possible, of course, to go on an adventure to figure out blood magic by yourself. Uh, it may be difficult, or may require you to treat with the supposed source of blood magic. Maybe learn it straight from the mouths of demons. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing that, can go fine. wrong here. What could happen? Uh, speaking of what could happen, what does the spec do? Things that could happen. Uh, first of all, it it just it's very good. This is it's, an extremely powerful spec. As specializations go, this one's real solid, which is very alarming considering how alarming it is. Uh, when you take it, uh, first you need a constitution and a magic of three or higher. That's it, and you'll. You have to have enough seal. magic and enough blood. Yes, you'll want. Plenty of constitution. Being a blood mage, you will probably want to try and get your constitution as high as you comfortably can. Because yes. you're going to be needing it a lot. Uh, and the novice degree is that you can enter a blood magic mode as an activate action. While you're in blood magic mode, you can choose to, whenever you cast a spell, take 1d6 penetrating damage and gain that damage as mana to cast on to use on that spell that you cast. You lose any extra mana that you would have gotten. Like, if it only costs three mana, but you generated five, you lose those extra two. They're just mm -hmm. gone. Um, you, it's, you can cast blood spells in this mode, and you cannot benefit from magical healing or spell from spells or potions. You can leave the mode, of course, as another activate action. You can still be healed by the heal action, uh, and one of the blood spells that is available to you. We'll be getting into those. Boy, are they something. So, you know, you let a little bit of blood, it turns into mana. It basically gives you two mana pools to pull from. Three spells. You don't, now, the, the blood magic mode specifies you don't have to use your and use your own blood to, to fuel the spell. You can. So whenever you cast the spell, you'll just have to make the choice, am I taking a little more blood? Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, if it's like a really cheap spell and you don't want to take too much damage, you can always skip it. But if you're casting like a 20 mana of a spell, might as well dip, in, <laughs> dip into the health a little bit. Uh, the journeyman degree is you can have a friend within six yards of you give you 1d6 health in exchange for mana. Uh, GMs should also answer for their own campaigns if they allow the master degree of armor training to protect against this damage and still provide mana. I think that would make... Well, no, because it's... Uh, oh, yeah, master degree... I would assume not. This because is coming they... directly out of your blood. Like, it's true. So if if the armor is preventing you from losing blood, 
then it's preventing you from giving. There's no sacrifice. Yeah, so in my opinion, that shouldn't apply. Mm -hmm. Now, if a player has master armor training and a PC wants to take the blood from them... They could probably lower their guard. The GM could probably rule that they could have that they could still take all the penetrating damage if they want that mage to have any power, of course. Uh, you know, it's just it's for your friend. Uh, this can be a great source of mana if you have powerful warriors or even uh, or even hardy rogues who don't lose a lot of health anyway due to high uh, armor rating or defense. I, I should we... be bleeding them dry. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to say it, but Alora's got HP in the triple digits, and she really doesn't lose a lot. I should... Well, yes, she does, eventually. Right. I mean, once she gets to the really big fights and people are asking her to roll tests against spells, be, then it gets I, trickier, but... <laughs> stupid compunctions about not being a real blood mage. Yeah. Ruining things for me. Uh, oh, and then, of course, we come to the master degree, which is you can take health from enemies. Oh, yeah. If you make a magic blood versus their willpower, faith, or self-discipline and beat them, you get to take that 1d6 penetrating damage from them. Now, in this case, the GM may be able to call for a case that the our master, the master degree of armor training does protect them. Oh, I would, I would assume that it normally does protect, but mm -hmm. that if you want that, it may, that damage to go through then you have to voluntarily let it be lowered. Like. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind when you're fighting them Templars. Yeah, you're you still might, only doing half that blood damage. You might not be getting much from them. Uh, they have to be within six yards of you. Oh, and your ally also has to be within six yards of you, so you don't have to be touching them. You just have to be within three squares. Well, if you are touching them, rather if they're helpless and you're next to them, you can take 2d6 instead. Yeah, I mean, you know, just if you need a little extra. Yeah, I mean, you're hurting them and then re-hurting them yeah. if your spells are offensive, so it's pretty solid combo. Yeah. It's, really, it's really nasty. Like, here, let me harm you so that I can do more harm to you. Give me one. Give me six health, and I'll cast Fireball at you. Have I mentioned that I still have most of my mana intact? Like, <laughs> I can keep this up for a while. Uh, now, uh, you are probably if assuming that you are going to be getting a second specialization. How do the other specs complement this one? For the most part, this spec works pretty well with just about any other specialization because it just gives you more mana, which means yeah. you can do more mage stuff. Which all of these specs do mage stuff so it's gonna help mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty much useful no matter what you do mm -hmm. with the exception of the fact that it makes you a pariah yeah, literally everywhere yeah pretty much if you combine it with arcane warrior because you are a more, ma a more tanky mage you'll likely have more health to give for your spells also having extra reserves to pull mana from can only help when combat magic mode is increasing the mana cost of all your spells uh, and, of course, using Fade Shroud from the Arcane Warrior is another drain on your mana every round. So having an extra place to pull extra mana from so that your mana pool isn't running dry too quickly just offsets the, see, offsets the one, some of the drawbacks of being an Arcane Warrior. Yeah, it's it pretty much just makes you better at being an Arcane Warrior. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Like, remember all those things that cost stuff? They don't really cost anything now. No. Go forth. Have fun. Have fun. Uh, Force Mage, nothing like particularly meshes together, but you I mean you've got more mana to cast more control spells, which just means you're going to be a better crowd control Force Mage. So you're just going to be a better Force Mage. So I had no problems with this one. 
The Keeper has a couple of interesting little bits. The healing ability of the Master Degree of the Keeper specialization can definitely heal you while in Blood Magic mode because it is not healing from a creation spell and it's mm -hmm. not from a potion. Uh, although it is a fairly modest heal. You don't get much. However, if you are combining the... Assuming that you are a Blood Mage Keeper and you've got, something, <laughs> and you've got like Wrath of the Elven going and you've got pulling people in with Ensnare and you cast something like Blood Wound on people... Uh, and while you're casting those blood spells, you are pulling more health from them. There's a lot of penetrating damage going around. Assuming that they're failing the tests against Wrath of the Elven, uh, they're failing the tests against well, your uh, against Ensnare, they're failing the tests against your... They're, they're going to be rolling a lot of tests. Assuming you're good. Assuming that you're good at what you do, you're going to be whittling them down pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, damage that occurs while you're busy... You, so you're yeah, this pulling is all passive damage, yeah. more or less. None of these really require actions to do, to keep to keep going. These are all things that you're just going to be doing anyway. So, I hope and that makes if sense. you've got like you know, and for those who are worried, it's like, well, you're keeping them right next to you. It's, well, if you've got force field, yeah, yeah. that's going to be a heavy mana upkeep. But you pull them next to you because spells can go through it outwards. They can't touch you. But you can keep taking blood. Yeah, especially if you're not doing spells that do hit point. I think it's spells that do non-hit point damage can mm -hmm. go through. Yes. and if But if you are also, you know, Wrath of the Elvening, ensnaring them, pulling them closer. Yeah. If they die from the Wrath of the Elven, you get health back. But if they don't die right away, and then yeah, know or, that one or you pull the killing blow, and now you've got them right next to you, you can then take more mana from them. And take a lot of mana from and them. And kill them in the and process. And kill them in the process. So, you know... That's a pretty nasty combo. It's got some if potential. You, if you pull it right. It does require a bit of setup. Mm -hmm. um, the Necromancer. The cheap Death Siphon spell can help you uh, supplement your mana even more mm -hmm. when all those blood spells you're casting against people are killing folks, and then they're close enough to you that you're hitting them with your blood magic, and then it's, when they die, they give you extra mana. So, you know, more mana. And, of course, it, all those blood magic spells that you're casting are probably hurting people. And if anyone dies from one of your spells, you get a boost to spell power for a while. And, of course, and however, uh, it is worth noting that it is unlikely that the master degree power of the necromancer, the simulacrum, can be used alongside the blood-stealing powers of the blood mage. Ask your GM to make sure, because your simulacrum doesn't really have any blood to give. And wouldn't really even need to take any blood because it doesn't use mana to cast the spells. So, eh. up to your GM if they'll let you do the extra little bloodletting from people to do a little, that little extra damage. But, you know, up, yeah. to the, up to the GM, really. Given that it's life power and your simulacrum lacks that, yeah, might not work, but mm -hmm. it's up to them. Uh, and uh, the shapeshifter. This one is actually doesn't work super well with Blood Mage. Because you can't cast spells when you're in your beast forms. So it's not... So if you've got Blood Magic mode on, and so now you're just a big bear that can't be healed, that's not necessarily Yeah, that's not helpful. great. Not super helpful. The big unhealable bear. Um, using health to pay for the animal form spells, of course, is still useful. It's just extra mana. Mm -hmm. Especially when you get to, like, vicious animal form, which costs 25 plus mana when you cast it. Being able to skim a little bit off your health is not going to hurt. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to hurt, but, but it, it never hurts to have that little extra bit of mana to make sure that you're not completely mm -hmm. shattering your reserves. It's true. How are you doing there? I'm hungry. 
You need to go get some food later? Yeah. All right. We can go get some food before bed. Uh, I don't know if the mic picked that up, but if it did, dag. <laughs> yo. I have a pretty impressive hungry stomach. Uh, and then finally, Spirit Healer is an interesting combo for a Blood Mage. Since you are not going to be he- uh, healing from any of the spells that you're casting as a Spirit Healer, and you're really just going to have to do that for the sake of your allies. Which makes a very interesting polarizing combination very it would be very difficult i imagine mm-hmm. to avoid corrupting the spirit that you were that you were uh yes maintaining uh. just because you know blood magic usually comes with some very strong and very negative emotions and if you're throwing those around the spirit that you're housing may uh feel that impact so May have some issues with that. Yeah, there might be some unexpected and unfortunate side effects. So, keep that in mind. And then everyone's abominations. Yeah, it happens. Now, of course, beyond the actual specialization itself, taking the blood, ma- blood Mage specialization unlocks the Blood Magic school of spells for you. You can only take those spells if you have the specialization. Now, all specialization, most of the Mage specializations have their own spells, like... Necromancer has like Spirit Mark and Lingering Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arcane Warrior has Arcane Might. Um, let's see. Keeper has Wrath of the Elven and, and Ensnare. And what is it? Or the Earth Travel spell? Oh, uh, Stone's Throw. Stone's Throw, yes. I love Stone's Throw. Most of them have got their own little signature spells. You've got a whole school of magic to play with. No, all of these things are terrifying. Yes. they're They're all mean. They're all very mean. So we're going to go through this list nice and quick, give you a quick rundown of the absolute horrors that you can conjure when you're casting, when you're in your yeah. blood magic mode. Some nasty stuff here. You, kind of like uh, the spirit warrior, this is not the spirit warrior, the spirit mages, no, the spirit healers um, creation spells that they learn, like group heal. You must be in your you, mode for this. Correct. You can't cast them outside of blood magic mode. Uh, the first one to take into account is Blood Sacrifice. This is the only spell that you can use to heal yourself while you're in Blood Magic mode. Because you take man- and you take health from a friend. Yeah, it's not the only way to heal yourself, but it is Correct. the only, like... The only spell. Short right. of maybe Wrath of the Elven. Yes. Indeed. Or, like, one of the... Mm. the one of the, uh... What's it called? Kind of necromantic uh, entropy spells that gives you... Yes, there's a couple of those. Yeah, so, but it's one of the few that you've got, so. Mm. This one's going to be probably a bit more efficient than a lot of those other ones, because you can point to a friend within 20 yards of you, mm-hmm. ask them for health, and they can give you up to 25 points of health. If you and take training, them to zero, they'll still die, though, so. They definitely die from it if you bleed them too much, so, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah, especially, I mean, you're a blood mage. If you've got friends, you may not want to lose them. You don't get too many of those. You don't, really. Um, next one to take into account is a more storytelling based spell, uh, thought taking, but man, is this one creepy. Yeah. It takes a minute to cast it and the person you are casting it on does get a willpower self-discipline test to fight you off, but it's not super expensive. It's, uh, well, I think the first casting of it is a little expensive. Where'd you go? I think when you first cast it, it is like... 15 mana to cast it the first okay. time. Yeah, that's um, a little pricey. It is a little bit pricey. 
but you get to cast it. You cast her for one minute. You ask them a question, and you and you probe their mind. And you touch the target's forehead, concentrate for a minute, and probe their mind for the answer. Let's see. If they succeed and resist you, then they then you do not probe their mind, but you can spend five more mana and an extra minute to try again. You can just keep going. You can keep doing that. You can just keep going. Uh, Once the target fails, um, you have access to their mind, and you may spend two mana to ask the game master for the target's honest answer to a simple question, or to a single question. You may ask a total of number of questions equal to your magic ability at a rate of one question per minute. This spell is often quite painful, even though it deals no damage, but makes a terrifying scene. Yeah, that's that's pretty uh, bad. Very terrifying tool for uh, NPCs to use as well. Um, and it's on the flip side, of course, GMs, uh, PCs get to ask their GM what an NPC knows uh, about, speci- say about specific questions. This can be very powerful info gathering, but it does make you a jerk. Mm-hmm. Just like this next one, uh, which is called Rack. It is a only three mana co- mana cost and easy to cast like target number thirteen torture spell. It's a torture spell. It's a spell that you use to torture people. It takes a minute to cast it. Well, and, and you're just kind of sending tendrils of pain along uh, entropic energy and it's like shocking them or something for like a straight minute. If they fail the willpower self discipline test. Uh, Let's see. And they must make a willpower self-discipline test versus your spell power to resist answering your questions or capitulating to your demands. If they fail a test, they take a minus three penalty to all tests while they're let's see while the spell persists. Actually, I think they take that regardless. The test is to avoid doing what you ask them to do. Gotcha. The victim racked by pain suffers a minus three penalty to all tests while it persists, so suffers no damage. But they must make a willpower self-discipline test versus your spell power to resist answering your questions or capitulating your demands. But, unlike thought-taking, they don't have to give you an honest answer. They can lie. Mm-hmm. But they also do take a minus three penalty on that communication deception test, which could mean that you st- you might be able to pick out their lie. The, which, this is a better one for NPCs. It definitely a better one for NPCs to use. And, be, again, just be careful. Yes, this Dragon Age is supposed to be a dark world. It is a dark world, and this is one of those reasons. But just, you know, just just make sure everybody's cool with it. Yeah, make sure everyone's cool. Torture. Torture is a sore subject for a lot of gaming communities. Because some people just seem to be inexplicably really cool with it. I don't get it. I mean, I... I can see how it would make a compelling part of a story. I can see how people yes. would be uncomfortable with it. So mm-hmm. everybody make sure that everybody's cool and then compel away, I guess. Fair enough. Uh, the next three are spells that you take in sequence. And uh, boy, are they nasty. They are mean spells. These are some of the big ticket items in this school. Uh, starts with Blood Wound. And it's, it costs 8 mana. It has a pretty high target number for a spell that costs so little because it You're hits... You're boiling yeah, their blood. You boil the blood of every enemy within 12 yards of you. That's 6 squares radius. Yes. They all take a d6 plus magic penetrating damage regardless of whether or not they resist the test. If they fail the test to resist it, then they lose their major action next turn. 
And they can only take one minor action. They can only take one minor action. That's it. They can't replace it with a second ma- major, like a second minor action. Nope, just one minor. Uh, if they succeed, they still take all that damage, but they get to keep their they get to keep their actions normal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need blood or sap or something. On yes, um, to be affected by. Yes, this. something that equates to blood, something to boil. Yep. You know, you weirdo. <laughs> This next one is, Ooh. like, very creepy as far as watching people do it. This is one of those that people expect when you think of a blood mage. Hemorrhage. Hemorrhage hits only one target, but it hits for the largest number of damage dice of any spell before using stunts. 4d6 plus magic penetrating damage. Yeah, because you are taking a whole <laughs> bunch of blood... And forcing it out of somebody's mouth, nose, and eyes. Garf. Garf. They got some, you know, art of it in the book. It looks about like you would expect it's, it to. It's a little haunting. But, uh, let's see, those who succeeded it only take, oh, succeeded resisting it only take 2d6 penetrating, which is not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's still penetrating damage, still fair potential. And the other thing that the spell does is that when you're casting it, this spell specifically can give you a discount on the imposing spell stunt. Yeah, this spell is so creepy as far as being visibly, like, terrifying looking that it only costs you two stunt points to cast to use imposing spell. As opposed to four, which it normally yeah. is. Also, the target of this spell must be within 50 yards of you. <laughs> As long as you can see them, pretty much. If they're within twenty-five squares, you can make them bleed out their face. Just push it all out. That's just gross. That said, it has a remarkably high target number. The target number nineteen that for, is some, for a nasty. sort of journeyman-esque level spell. Is... But if you get at least two stun points, you can use that imposing spell, and folks have to make tests before they can even attack you. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to touch you either. Yeah, right. The moment you know that somebody can do that, that's that's a pretty big deal. But uh, it's nothing compared oh, to... Blood Slave. Oh. This one, this one's nasty. Target number 19 costs a huge whopping 20 mana to cast. But it is all worth it. Because if the target you are casting it on fails to resist it, you get to choose what actions they take on their next turn. Yep. And, uh, like several spells from the Entropy School, uh, targets who have a low enough ability rating might remain under the spell for a long time, if not indefinitely, because it lasts until they successfully resist the spell. Yeah, if they are incapable of resisting, then congratulations, you have... You have a slave. ...ensorcelled someone... Holy crap. Permanently, They are under your control. You get to pick what actions they take on their turns. They are your puppet. You just yep. get to do whatever. You, if, don't, you don't have to spend mana on following rounds to keep it going. Nope. Once they that first that you know once they fail, <laughs> as long as they continue to fail every round, they keep being they keep working for you. Whatever. That said, if a target is choosing to resist you, as I imagine most would in this case, um, any attacks that they make suffer a minus two penalty because you can't control them quite that accurately. That's fair. But, no. I mean, you, you've turned someone into a flesh puppet. Yeah. That's terrifying. The GM may 
need to let you know if somebody actually takes the spell the GM may have to let players know what exactly they can actually tell people to do uh, and if like doing something that they that this person clearly does not want to do like gives them penalties on the test or something uh, or say or, or if an action is simply not possible like the GM may not allow you allow victims to coup de gras themselves but they may allow them to attack themselves yeah I honestly I think one of the guiding points here, is that it allows you to dictate the actions they take on their next turn, which implies that it is, you must choose actions that can be taken. Mm-hmm. And a coup de gras can only be done on a creature that is dying. Or helpless. Or unconscious, or just yeah. in, a great, in a great place. Now, I mean, you could argue that they could just that they're somewhat helpless because they just plunge a knife into their stomach. But they're also probably fighting you on that. So it may... So GMs may be perfectly within their rights of saying it's an attack roll. Yep. I would guess that it would be difficult to make someone just straight up kill themselves. It would also be a good idea to not let them do that because that means if the players can do it, so can the NPCs. Yeah. And it would just be awful. For an NPC to cast a spell on a player, they just tell them to kill themselves, and that player's just gone. It's also just a game-breaking yeah. level of power this to is, have. This is a game-breaking level of power to have. There's really no powers quite like this in the rest of Dragon Age. It's, it's You may so, have figured. You know, this may be one of those reasons why blood magic is generally less than popular. You know. Yeah, so, closing remarks. Mechanically, this is a very solid spec. Story-wise, it is a very dangerous one. Oh boy, it is not safe. Not only may your allies object to your methods and the spells you use while in blood magic mode, but Chantry Folk will not let you continue to exist peacefully. Mm-hmm. Templars will hunt you to the end of Thetis. Yeah. Um, it is worth noting that while you cannot heal from creation spells or potions, you can still heal from spells like... Goodness... Wrath of the Elven. Like Wrath of the Elven. Uh, there's a couple of entropy Death spells. Siphon. See, Death Siphon. I think it's... There's another one. Oh, it's Blood the one Sacrifice. That, Blood Sacrifice, of course. Uh, Death Siphon gives you... Mana, the the one think, that is yeah, Death Siphon, but one. is for health. Like. Yeah, exactly. So you're gonna. So instead of casting heals on yourself, you're gonna need to be a bit more resourceful. And uh, one of those ways you can be resourceful is taking the Chirurgy Talent. Uh, powering up that talent, even to like master degree, and using it in between casting all your spells when you're giving yourself a d6 uh, penetrating damage each round, but then as a minor action, you're healing yourself again. Mm-hmm. You may not lose any health at, at all, assuming that you've got the actions to do it. Uh, especially consider, especially once you start getting it to uh, to like give you double the dragon die or triple the dragon die when you start healing yourself. No, keep in mind that in order to use Chirurgy, you must have a healing kit and that those, Fair. I believe, come with a certain number of uses. I don't think they do in the book, but I think some folks enforce it anyway. It would make sense that you don't mm-hmm. have a never-ending roll of bandages. Yeah. That would definitely be a good campaign to limit the number of uses that a healing kit can have. Yeah. You do have to be holding the healing kit, or at least have it easily accessible to you, like out on the ground and opened up so you can get to the End in your square. and the poultices. Or in a square you can reach. Yes. Uh, not all spells necessarily require you to have like an open hand, but 
you know, it might just be more close. It might just be more that that there's one, that there's a need for there to be realistic expectations or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little bit of give and take. Your, your table mileage may vary. Correct. Uh, your allies who don't lose a lot of health in battle can be great mana batteries from you if you are cool with draining the blood from your allies to power your magic. You jerk. Yep. And they're cool with it too. Blood ma- uh, blood sacrifice only works on willing targets. If the person is not willing, the spell doesn't work. Yeah. That said, the master ability where you just straight up take hit points and convert them into mana does work on unwilling creatures, but it only the master on... level. <laughs> it works on everybody. Yeah. Even your friends who don't want to give you help. Yep. That's that's pretty dark. That's pretty bad. Uh, it is unclear if a target needs to actually have as much health as you are taking to gain mana. Uh, the GMs should probably decide this for their games. So if you've got like a foe that you want to take mana from, they've only got three health left and you rolled like a five or a six. Some GMs may rule that you only get three because they only had three to give. But I feel like that kind of makes sense, honestly, mm-hmm. because once the blood is gone, like right, it's gone. Rules as written, it sounds like just however much damage you deal is however much ma- uh, mana you get. Yeah. So just talk to your GM. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because if, in that case, you could choose to pull the killing blows on your foes in order to use their unconscious bodies to fuel your spells, and be a big time efficient jerk. Yep. Uh, a person who uses blood magic to protect the innocent from other blood mages would make an excellent character concept. Although... I can see that getting really broody and irritating. Yeah. Too. They wield some terrifying Very power. angel-like. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Trench, c- trench coats and brooding. Trench coats on and the brooding. horizon. Oh, yeah. It's true. That it's said, co- go for it. And, of course, they make fantastic villains. Because that is some pretty terrifying power they wield. It's very true. Thank you for sticking with us through this very messy episode. Yep. It's, uh... It's been a good time. It's been, uh... It's been a wild ride. With lots of hurt people and feelings and dash dreams and... Man, why are you so bad? Why did you take the specialization? Why are you a jerk? Yeah. I don't know, I'm a little drained. <laughs> well, you know, when we got that drained feeling, we like to let folks know that if you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our new Patreon. And you can not only get double votes on later episodes, but you can get the show a week early. If we get enough support uh, and uh, with a, a little bit of more planning that we've got going on the, uh, behind the scenes, we can meet you with the Discord channel, start inviting people on the show with us, may, uh, may, make the show a weekly show, or even start a new show for other age games. Uh, anything you can contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for this show. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our social media. Feel free to leave a comment or a question, or even tell us how your Dragon Age games are going. Feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, and if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. It helps us out. Yep. No, I guess all we can do is be positive. That's my blood type. I know it is. That's why I said it. <laughs> Mine doesn't work. A positive doesn't. I guess you could say that this was a positive episode. Or a positively good episode. I I guess so. Hey, don't be so negative about my puns. Why do you sting me like AB? 
That was stretching it. That was stretching uh, it. This is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. This is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. Thank you so much for listening to the One is the Fittest podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.